0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, evidence informed, practical based. We are winding down to the end of season two. This is episode number 48, and it is an absolute pleasure to have a returning guest, the legendary Dr. Susan Kleiner, on the show today to talk new power eating and share her insights from years of clinical experience. In this episode, Susan will share why it's so important to understand the why of nutrition and performance nutrition. She'll also discuss nutrition for fueling workouts specifically around altering carbohydrate availability. Susan also touches on the difference between managing fat versus burning fat, as well as that key difference between clean eating and eating for performance. She talks about strategies to improve body composition, dives into nutrition for the brain and mood, as well as evidence-based botanicals to support athlete performance. Finally, she rounds things out by talking about the importance of habits, and how you can try to reboot bad habits that your athletes or clients might be experiencing. Always amazing to talk with Susan. So much fantastic evidence-based information here and wisdom whenever uh, Susan speaks. So I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, you can check out the podcast summary and show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. If you're interested in more on this topic of fueling female athletes, then definitely circle back to season one, episode number 49, my first interview with Dr. Kleiner uh, on fueling female athletes. You can also circle back to season two, episode seven with Dr. Eric Helms on nutrition for hypertrophy. And finally, it's that time of year, cold days, dark days, short days, not getting enough sleep. So revisit um, my interview with expert Dr. Sherry Ma all about sleep in season two, episode number nine. Terrific. Well, remember, you can check out all these experts and more on YouTube, iTunes, or your favorite catching platform. Make sure you subscribe, and you won't miss any of the phenomenal, phenomenal guests lined up in 2019. Awesome, ladies and gents, don't forget, if you enjoy this episode, please send out a tweet, post on Facebook, add to your Instagram story or email to a friend to share these incredible insights from this episode. All right, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean and is the only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on ocean mineral water is ramping up a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Go to totemsport.co.uk, use the promo code doctorbubs 10 D-R-B-U-B-B-S-10, at checkout and save 10%. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Go to totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. Alright, on to the show, Season 2, Episode 48. Enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Susan Kleiner, a co-founder and fellow of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, and a member of both the American College of Sports Medicine and the National Strength and Conditioning Association. She is the founder and owner of the internationally recognized consulting firm, High Performance Nutrition, and has consulted with professional athletes, teams, and Olympians And is currently the high performance nutritionist for the WNBA's Seattle Storm. Susan, really appreciate you carving out the time today.
0: Oh, thank you. And I I need to add to that the national champion Seattle Storm.
1: Uh, Absolutely, that's (laughs) actually they they
0: won. They won the WNBA championship this year.
1: That's that's fantastic, and it's definitely uh, I've got that lined up a little further down in some of my questions. So I appreciate you mentioning that because it was definitely (laughs) impressive to see. So. I appreciate you coming back on. We had you on in uh, season one, and we talked all about, obviously, your background and also sports nutrition and weight loss in, in women and female athletes. Um, so I just want to, so p- folks can circle back to that episode if they want to hear uh, more on that directly. But let's jump right in. Uh, your new book here, uh, The New Power Eating, fantastic, divided into three parts again, foundations, supplements, plans, and menus. So I'd like to start with the foundations. Now, you opened the book in chapter one with Eating for Strength, Power, and Speed. Can you unpack that a little bit for listeners?
0: Yeah, sure. um and and thanks so much for having me on and allowing me to to talk about the new power eating. Um, so this is essentially the fifth edition of what has kind of been my my legacy uh, of book Power Eating, and we called it this time the New Power Eating. And each edition, I add on quite a bit. I mean, it's really a a big effort. It's not just, well, let's change a few words and put out a new edition. It's a new book. Um, And this time, um, one of the things that I, uh, it it shows up right in the first chapter that we call it Eating for Strength, Power, and Speed, Um, really a nod to the fact that all athletes are doing uh, resistance training to support their, uh, their sport or, you know, even if you, whether you're recreational or competitive, whether you're just interested, you know, in fitness, in your own personal fitness, um, it's, it, it, the, the sort of power and strength part is fundamental to everything else that we do. And so, uh, this time, starting from chapter one, the concept of, Um, of sort of the cross-training is woven throughout the whole book. The book was always about eating, you know, to build muscle, strength, and power. Um, But I don't know that people uh, completely understood fundamentally um, how foundational that is for any kind of physical activity that you do. So, um, So as we start with eating for strength, power, and speed... I chapter one is really an introduction. It um, gives you, uh, you know, I, I try and think of that one of my gifts that I have is communicating the science of nutrition into food. Absolutely. Um, what do I do when I stand at, stand at the grocery store? And, and so both sides of that formula are important. It's the science. And then it's how do I apply it in my own personal life? And so throughout the book, I give um, a, um, a really sort of sincere conversation about science so that my readers can understand why. Because I think it's easy to sort of jump around with your diet when people say, try this, do that. And you try it. And then two weeks later, when you don't feel very good, or you don't quite understand it, or it's getting a little too hard, or whatever. You go, well, I don't even know why I'm doing this anyways. And you stop and go on to the next thing. Whereas in the New Power Eating and always in my books, I give you the why. Here is why. Here is what's happening in your body. This is how protein works and the jobs that protein have. Here's how carbohydrate works and the jobs that carbohydrate plays in your body. Here's how fat works. You know, So give you that fundamental sort of metabolic introduction to macronutrients. And then we can move on into them specifically. And each one kind of gets its own chapter. In fact, fat gets two chapters, you know, and and then we go on from there into the micronutrients, into supplements, into, and everything, everything then specific toward, uh, and these are some new changes. I always had uh, targeted information for the female athlete, but in this book, it is much greater because we have so much more data, number one, and, uh, and because um, the need and the demand is certainly there today. And so I have a whole chapter on the female athlete specifically, but those needs are woven throughout the book. So all of that is introduced with a lot of science translated into an understandable format uh, in chapter one, eating for strength, power, and speed.
1: Yeah. You do such a great job of, in all your books of distilling the science and the evidence base and not only letting the reader understand, as you mentioned, kind of the why and and the demands of the sport, but also, um, making that sort of practical connection of how they can apply that in practice. So if we, if we skip forward to chapter three here, which is dedicated to fueling workouts, you know, what type of workouts might you cover there? you know what's new in this area since the last edition?
0: huh well let's look <laughs> i'm gonna I'm gonna catch up with you here um, so fueling your workouts and this is this talks especially you know um fuel for exercise and that is high intensity exercise focuses on carbohydrate, and so this is really the carbohydrate chapter, the dedicated chapter. Um, and and carbohydrate plays an enormous role for anyone who does athletically challenging exercise. And so you may be a novice, you may be a youth athlete, you may be a master's athlete. you may not even call yourself an athlete. you may be, you know, have that, you know, a fitness enthusiast. but when you exercise, you want to challenge yourself. That's your goal. And if you want to challenge yourself, It requires carbohydrate in your diet. Um, And so that may be customized by each um, sort of physical event that you do. So each training session, each workout, or a game or a match or a competition. Um, I like to think that by the time you complete the book, um, you have the tools that I use to customize your diet and diet on a daily basis, or sometimes it is, as I said, on a workout basis. Um, and maybe you also have a very active life. Maybe you are a farmer or you're a ditch digger or, <laughs> um, you know, or you're a UPS driver, but you're delivering by walking up and downstairs all sure, day you're long, on or your whatever feet, you're,
1: moving around you know, all day. Yep.
0: Right. So your nutritional needs are different than the person who is like me. I have real dedicated exercise time, but during my week, I am sitting for hours or these days, I actually have a treadmill desk, but I'm still pretty sedentary at a computer planning diets for my elite athletes. So Um, so I have a more sedentary day than a football player or, you know, that sort of thing. And so my nutritional needs, my macronutrient needs are going to be different. And hopefully that's what this book can do for people. It explains why you need carbohydrate, why, and when you need it, why you need fat. And when you need it, the role of protein and carbohydrate together is discussed, uh, throughout the book. But this chapter is dedicated to fueling the kind of exercise that requires carbohydrate. Why and how to do it. Then, you know, what's the difference between, you know, eating teaspoons of sugar and having a bowl of quinoa? What's what's the difference? Is there any difference? And you know, we have all of that conversation, but it it's um, uh. And timing and combining, of course, is in there, gives you lists of good sources. I mean, for me, it's about where the rubber meets the road. Can you take this information, put down the book or take the book with you, maybe it's on your phone, and go to the grocery store, buy what you need and prepare what you need to nourish your body as well as fuel your training?
1: Yeah, very well said. And of course, this dovetails into my next question. You mentioned, you know, world champion uh, Seattle Storm, and WNBA. Congratulations again. If we talk about, you know, elite athletes, what are some of your pillars when you're working with, you know, team sport athletes like the Seattle Storm?
0: So uh, thank you, and it and it, it it's been a an honor and a privilege to work with these incredible athletes and. Uh, we had a lot of fun this season, and I attribute um, the work of our entire high performance team, which meant our strength and conditioning coach, our athletic trainer, our massage therapist, our physical therapist, uh, our, our uh, sports med doc. You know, all of us in concert working together, keeping the team really completely healthy all the way to the end of the season. No catastrophic Amazing. injuries. Yeah. I mean, and so that's not easy and nutrition plays a big role. And as I just mentioned, I think about nutrition for, um, an athlete or anyone who does athletically challenging exercise in two silos. And I talk a lot about this in the book. Um, there's all about food and I'm a registered dietitian and I'm all about food first when you're trying to nourish your body, and and feed your brain and 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 give your body all the things that it can get from food when we think about fueling a training session or fueling exercise that's a different silo that's not nourishing that's fueling and that may take on a different look than the menus that we plan for nourishing the body Um, It may be the smartest thing because we know this is very science-based. Why not use the science? And when certain foods or certain products have been engineered specifically to be fuel for exercise, if they have data behind them, and of course, it's all about the evidence, then that is probably something to consider because, you know, can you eat uh, you know, uh, you know, a bowl of uh, any kind of very whole grain cereal, and get up and train. Yes, a lot of people do. Uh, where is that bowl of whole grain cereal if you had it thirty minutes before you go and you train for several hours? Uh, it's still in your stomach. Now, sure. you know, right? So, so if you It's not helping you in there, and in many cases, it's hindering you because people feel bloated, they feel full, they have discomfort. Lots of people come to me because they know that they puke off the side of their bike or their (laughs) boat or the road, right? Every time I have NFL players who suffer from this, and the key then is, what can we fuel you with that will empty from your stomach as rapidly as possible? get through your intestine and absorbed into your bloodstream to actually fuel what you're trying to do, your, your exercise as quickly as possible. And so um, those are typically scientifically engineered products. We call them sports drinks. They're designed that way for a reason. Some of them have been um, designed specifically for athletic performance with ingredients designed as such, Others may have discovered ingredients that were always used in food preparation that may also work uh, in a sports drink. So a difference between things like sugar and maltodextrin, which were basically food ingredients versus uh, the product that I work with, it's called Vitargo, that was specifically designed to fuel athletic performance. So, so, uh, you know, one's a starch, one are sugars, one is in between, Um, And we, you know, you you experiment on yourself, but you should expect science when you are going to spend money on products like that instead of using food.
1: Yeah, very well said in terms of all that nuance and some of those silos that, as you mentioned, we fall into of eating for health versus eating for performance. And I find even if it's a recreational uh, athlete, even in in, in medicine or other endeavors we those silos are get confused often and people wonder why we're we're fueling with this versus that and as you mentioned it's really fueling for the demands and and, and of course working with the nuance of the athlete if the training is early in the morning then these things all become important so that's um really insightful and of course you also talk in your books about managing fat versus burning fat can you give some insights there into folks on what that means
0: yes so this is interesting um I was actually, uh, you mentioned the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Um, we just did a conference in Colombia, in Medellin, Colombia. And uh, something that I have talked about for years, but was presented by one of my colleagues there was the concept, I was Dr. Sean Arndt, um, he he presented the idea that sports nutrition is different than nutrition for um, bodybuilding or a physique kind of uh, competition, definitely. I that and that's definitely true. They're very different goals. In the same way that sports nutrition or fueling physical activity is a different concept than weight loss, and and so in the book I actually separate. The chapters, and I talk about fat as um, as it relates to health, and the need in your in your diet of all the different kinds of fats that promote health, those that do not promote health as much as others, um, uh, those that are pro-inflammatory, those that are anti-inflammatory, uh, and how we use fat as fuel um, to enhance physical performance. And the other chapter is the metabolism of fat relative to fat burning. How do we become lean? How do we? Um, so it's fat burning on your body. Uh, how do you? What is? How do you design a diet for an an active individual that gives them enough fuel to stay active, but the goal of that diet is fat loss, not enhancing performance and. Um, and so you can kind of overlap them and that's a a little bit of, you know, I call it threading the needle, a little bit of what I, I present in the book. Um, it takes a pretty high level knowledge to do it. And I certainly do that with athletes. They come to me and they say, I just need to drop a few pounds to get an edge on my, you know, sort of power to weight ratio, uh, and the Olympics are just around the corner, so my training can't go in the toilet while I'm trying to drop a little bit of weight. Uh, and so that's what I call threading the needle. Um, it takes a high level understanding of designing a diet, and it takes um, tremendous cooperation on behalf of the athlete to <laughs> really stick with right, stick with the program, and believe that in that in the period of time that we have, they're going to get to where they want to go and it's not gonna happen tomorrow. And so, so um, having the long view and those kinds of things. So, so that's why there are two chapters because I want it to be really crystal clear that that's, that's two different concepts uh, what, we're, what when you're trying to drop weight versus uh, promote health and performance.
1: That's terrific, Susan. And you know, for folks listening in, could you perhaps give an example of maybe a tip or a strategy that you use with some of your athletes on the in that vein of trying to get them a little bit leaner whilst they're also sort of peaking for a competition or, or an event?
0: Yeah. So um, I did present this. I did a wonder if I had a. It's not. It hasn't been. Um, uh, it hasn't been put up yet. Posted yet? But I um, Texas A and M has a wonderful institute called the Huffines Institute. You can find it on the internet. And uh, there's a regular podcast that Tim Lightfoot, Dr. Tim Lightfoot does. Once a year, they do something called the Hilliard Discussion. And um, as I was honored this year, uh, um, along with uh, seven others, uh, to do what's essentially a Ted Talk style presentation. And in my so my talk was uh, they encouraged me to do the new power eating, but it is very much in this very public vein of of translating a concept, and so I got to use the great Sue Bird. If anyone's not familiar with who she is, she is the oldest player in the WNBA, one of the most uh, decorated in all areas and is still at the very top of her game. She is with the Seattle storm. We call her the floor general. And, um, in the middle of this incredible season where we were going toward a championship, in fact, at the point where I worked with her on this, I don't think we, I don't think we knew we were on a championship run. Um, she came to me and said, doc, uh, I have a photo shoot in two weeks and I'd like my abs to be a little more ripped. And I've been working with Sue for several years and she's amazing to work with. And I said, Sue, you know, those are competing aims. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> to, it's divergent, get, right? get
0: your body right, your your body ripped and and be at the peak of physical performance at the same time. And she said, I know, I know. I I just want to do this, and and I didn't ask her what it was for. I just said okay, but you have to promise me this is only for two weeks, and you have to do exactly what I tell you to do. And so what I had Sue do, and I did, I tell the story in this uh, in the Hilliard discussion, and you get to see a little more of it, and more specifically what her diet plan was. But we use the concept, and you probably have heard of it, of sort of um, uh, training low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so w- where you have, and you know you f- you fully fuel your high intensity training uh, session with with plenty of carb around that session. And then afterwards, because the next day, particularly with Sue, because she doesn't do high intensity training day in and day out, like a lot of the much younger players, she doesn't need to, and we're trying to save her legs, of course. Um, on On the alternate days where she had lower intensity training days, we didn't give her a lot of carbohydrate. That was training low. And so she didn't need it for that exercise. and we didn't need her to be recovering that much glycogen. And it certainly gets you to lean out when you do, you know, we we recognize in sports nutrition that dropping carbohydrate um, does create a weight loss scenario and some fat loss. So a lot of it is fluid in the beginning, but it does give you a ripped look. Um and uh but you do burn a little more fat because your body begins to depend on that when you're still burning plenty of calories. And so so we put, we moved the carbohydrate that had been all the way throughout her meals only around her training, mostly. She still had vegetables and a little bit of fruit, but mostly any starch was actually put into Vitargo. She uses that to train anyway, but we upped the amount of Vitargo that she used around her high-intensity training and the several games that she played. Um, so pre, during, and and afterwards. And then uh, we restricted some of the starch in the rest of the day. So she wasn't carb depleted, but her carbohydrate intake lowered enough, just enough to drop just a few calories because her margins are so narrow to get the ripped look that she needed. Now, I said she had to limit it to two weeks because we know that any athlete who depletes carbohydrate for more than two weeks is going to have performance decrements if they are in their, certainly their competitive season. And so, uh, she continued to train hard to play at the top of her game. And if you want to look at the ESPN body issue from 2018, you will see the, the fabulous results. And so, Um, That's what I call threading the needle. I, I knew that Sue would stick to exactly what I told her and that she had complete confidence that she would get the outcomes that she wanted if she did what I told her to do. The problem happens when the athlete doesn't have that confidence and they're listening to all kinds of information coming in from all over the place And they lose patience because they are fearful that they're not going to get to their goals. And so they start cutting out more food, and that ruins everything.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, it's amazing how a strategic and planned and purposeful use of that low-carbohydrate availability, as you mentioned there, is so powerful, Um, and how oftentimes athletes, if they are impatient— and they have one foot in and one foot out can, can sabotage things if they don't uh, if they don't buy in so that's that's terrific and obviously the results speak for themselves folks can check that out uh, that, that issue um, and if we if we keep going on here Susan and you know another chapter that you have in the book is a new chapter that's devoted to brain power can you uh, walk listeners through why you added this area in the updated book
0: So when you look at the last two editions woven through it kind of quietly is what I call my conversation about the neurobiology of food. In 2007, I published a book called The Good Mood Diet. And that was frankly about the neurobiology of food and really just encouraged people to exercise. But it was much more and, and sports nutrition was woven into that book. But because that was not a book geared to athletes. Uh, I didn't want to scare people away, but the sports That's nutrition sure. was woven through it. It was one of the reasons why it worked so well. But the big thing is how can we impact mood, mental energy, cognition, focus, uh, and ability, you know, coping with stress and anxiety, ability to rest, relax, and sleep. All of those are impacted by the food that we eat. Food, you know, if you think of your body as a chemistry set, the food that you put in are the chemicals. And they go into your stomach and they get sort of all separated out as if you had them in a beaker over a Bunsen burner and your metabolism, Mm -hmm. of course, is is that burner, that flame. And then they get dispersed. And actually, you know, the very first organ impacted by those chemicals is your, I mean, not your stomach or your digestive system, but is your brain, even what we put in our mouths. So we know that a carbohydrate mouth rinse can increase exercise performance over a very short period of time. So that means we have receptors in our mouth for carbohydrate that are talking to our brain and saying, There's fuel on board. You can open up availability of fuel. It you have to if you're doing more than you know five minutes of exercise. You have to
1: ingest yeah
0: carbohydrate. But but if you need just a burst of of something, um, we know that that carbohydrate rinse in specific situations can make a difference. And so the point there is that that's not for everybody to swish carbohydrate, but the point is how powerful chemistry, food chemistry is to our brain. And, and the reason that sugar makes us feel so good is that it helps with the transport of the amino acid tryptophan across the blood-brain barrier through a complex cascade of biochemical events, and we raise serotonin, which is our feel-good neurotransmitter. And when we eat a very low-carbohydrate diet, in most people, serotonin levels drop. So so there's a lot of of biochemistry that affects our, our, our nervous system and our brain. And so so that's what this is about because I have been doing this with my athletes since <laughs> I, I wanna let, la- since the last century. <laughs> um that makes me sound really, really old, except it wasn't. It wasn't that, that long, long ago. ago. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so so um uh and it is extremely powerful. It it when um you know, certainly in people who who are frankly clinically depressed or something like that I'm not saying that diet is a is a cure all what I'm saying is that your diet plays a very important role what you choose when you choose to eat it what you combine it with all of those things impact the health of your brain and this in your central nervous system fundamentally and your gut not to forget the importance of the gut-brain axis and all of that. So if we can keep all of those systems healthy, they are going to be able to function at peak capacity, which is what our expectation is. And whether you are you know, um, in the work world and you're serious about your exercise or you're a serious athlete or you're a student athlete, the brain and your gut um, being healthy can make all the difference in the world and how well you function um, through your day and through your exercise. And so there's the foundational health piece, and then there's the additional factors of what we know you can do with things like caffeine before exercise, or you know, creatine uh, and protecting the brain, or you know, numbers of other things that we typically don't think of all the time as ways to enhance um, our, whether it's our performance, as I said, our mood, our ability to rest, relax, and sleep, all those things, there's, there's different nutrients that I talk about. There's supplements that I talk, there's a, a brain supplement chapter. There's a brain food chapter, all of those things are about botanicals. Um, and so, so, uh, I try and use the power of the scientific evidence, um, so that people not just you know the elite athlete gets to know about it but that everyone can
1: yeah that's terrific and it you know you sort of segue into my next question around that part two and supplements which you cover so wonderfully and of course you do cover some things around you know the brain the nervous system as you just mentioned can you perhaps share one example of something that you might use with your athletes on that uh, brain power front
0: well, so as I mentioned the gut, and, and I just, you know, I know it's very popular, um, but it's popular for a reason. It's something I have been doing, as I said, for, for many decades, is understanding the power of a healthy gut. And so thinking of, you know, that tube <laughs> um, that that runs from your mouth to your anus that's really on the outside of your body, right? I mean... There's nothing Definitely. blocking it. it from from the external environment. Inside our body is it are our organs, but the our, you know, our gastrointestinal tube is actually, you know, um, exposed to the external environment. And it's why we get sick so much from things that come into our gut. And so keeping that as healthy as possible is critically important. So, I do talk a lot about not just using probiotic supplements, although those do play a role, but cultured foods, fermented foods, a wide variety of these various ethnic foods that provide important um, protective uh, um, flora and fauna. You know, what we think of as, as protective bacteria and yeasts and fungus even, there are protective ones. And so, but mostly, mostly the bacteria and yeasts that play such an important role. We know that when, um, when you take antibiotics or even, uh, when you don't feed those probiotic cultures well, and that means that you don't have enough fiber in your diet, then, um, Our ability to respond to the environment around us in a healthy way, but as well, the connections between the gut and the brain become altered. And um, lots of fascinating data now looking at at both the bacterial uh, cultures, yeast cultures in our gut, the impact on our, our central nervous system and our brain, and our um genome and so so our what we call nutrigenetics and so we don't know which people will be far more affected than others for instance by a very low carbohydrate diet because the nature of very low carbohydrate diet is that it's low in fiber and so when it, you are not consuming fiber and what we're learning is fiber its real role may be feeding the the colonies in our gut and secondarily, sure. it, it may be that it keeps the brush border clean and and you know all the functions that we've thought were important, along with an you know impact on transit time through of, of stuff through our gut. But, but the the major role of fibers may be feeding those um, uh, colonies in our gut. And when we don't have enough fiber in the diet, The colonies, the ratio of healthy bacteria to pathologic bacteria may be altered. Um, And certain bacteria are now being associated with certain mood states and mental disorders. I mean, it really is fascinating. We don't have enough data to completely connect the dots and say this causes that. But there's these dramatic associations worldwide. And, and so we're at the very early stages of understanding how gut health impacts uh, our brain. And then sort of secondarily along with that is fish oil and, um, and sort of the whole concept of inflammation and pro-inflammation and anti-inflammatory foods and nutrients. And, and so the whole plant kingdom plays this enormous role along with fish oil. And a lot of what I talk about in that chapter and throughout the book is the role that inflammation causes in illness and distress, altered mood, increased risk of all kinds of disease, and certainly limiting our ability to recover from exercise as well as recover from injury and stress. Um, And so, all sort of that the concept of anti-inflammatory foods versus pro-inflammatory foods because it's not only what you do eat but it's what you don't eat um for sure that that makes makes a difference as well
1: yeah it's amazing how the gut microbiota and the microbiome do act as that interface between sort of what we're eating and these responses in the body as you mentioned connected to things like anxiety or low mood or different conditions and how diversity impacts that so really fascinating stuff and you, know, you also touch on botanicals for performance. So, are there, you know, certain ones here? I know that there's often many claims made um, about supplements, particularly botanicals for for performance. Uh, could you give an example of perhaps a, you know, one evidence based botanical that you feel is got um, good evidence base and that you might use with your athletes?
0: So, I mean, you're right. There is is just, you know, so many products that. <laughs> that don't have any evidence behind them uh and and so what I actually did with this book, the big one big change was in all the supplement chapters, is I took out the entire conversation about products that don't work because that section was becoming it's as too, big too as a long, long
1: book. conversation
0: <laughs> right, right, and so um so I I the chapter now on botanicals then um, is kind of small. Uh, when I want to be able to say to somebody this this definitely has absolute evidence that it that it meets its marketing claims. So what I mean is the claims on the sort of manufacturer's label um, of what it will do for you. Uh, does this product actually do that? Or do we have enough early evidence that it's pretty promising and you should eat, you could try it or you might want to watch this? And then everything else that just has nothing, I just leave out. And so we have a whole lot of things that are kind of coming up the pike because this has become such a big area that People may look at this and go, oh, well, you know, why isn't X in here? I'm reading all about it and there was just a paper published. Well, don't forget that I had to write this and send it into the publisher a year ago. Right. So a paper that was published last month, even no matter how good it looks, it can't be in the book. So that's just first yep. caveat. But things things that are really interesting um, typically are stimulants. So we know that. Anything that naturally contains caffeine or theobromine like guarana and mate, those do certainly meet their marketing claims of giving you an increased sense of energy, right? I mean, yep. and and we know that caffeine can be a performance enhancing aid. So So those are right up front in the beginning of the book. And then there's a couple, you know, this is a book that physique athletes, bodybuilders, are uh wrestlers um athletes trying to make weight boxers um uh um fighters they use this book and so dehydrating is is unfortunately part of the process uh, pa- part of the process and so buchu and foti um, those are those are both in here they are diuretics um uh and and um uh, well, Foti, a uh, natural laxative, and, and buchu, uh, sort of a natural diuretic. So those are kind of right up front. And then we go to things that are looking pretty darn good, beetroot juice. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, enhancing the nitric oxide system, um, increasing blood flow to the, to the muscle cells. Can it increase performance on one side when you're doing... Uh, sort of more anaerobic type exercise. and on the other side, uh, recovery. And so the research is is on both sides and beetroot juice, uh, you know, and there's other things to look at as well right now. Red spinach is big in that in that area. and so there and there's a number of other botanicals that are being looked at, um, anything that is high in nitrate. so um, but so beetroot juice is right up there. and then, um, is there data on cayenne? Well, it's pretty hard um, to take enough cayenne to get the <sighs> metabolic sure. boost because it burns. But there are now alternate supplements that are getting the, the sort of the um, metabolic enhance, enhancement side from a sweet pepper rather than the hot pepper, and you can actually consume it. It does meet its marketing claims, but is it worth it for an extra 50 calories a day max, like, you know, a bite of a cookie and you've, and you've blown through the extra <laughs> calories that you're getting from this expensive supplement. So, you know, these are ginseng is in here, green tea is in here, echinacea I still have a conversation about, and then all of the anti-inflammatory botanicals um, we t- I talk a lot about, so you know, ginger, turmeric, um, the, all the flavanols. So so we know that they have those properties. It doesn't mean that you supplement with them. It means that an, a plant-rich diet is going to be a very good strategy for everyone.
1: That's terrific. Yeah, it's great to have that section, especially going through all the various botanicals and being able to parse through for folks, you know, where the evidence is and, and, and you know, kind of that whether it's risk benefit or the amount of leverage you can get from something is, as you mentioned with the Cayenne, is really great to be able to get some context. And, and Susan, as we wind down here, I definitely want to respect your time. And of course, we we've, we've talked today about you know gut health and brain health. And of course, athletes are people too, just like the general population, right. and, and they have bad habits too, just like the general population. So you know, for yourself, what kind of bad habits you know on the nutrition front might you see in some uh, some elite athletes? And what are some things in your tool bag, you know, tips, tactics, strategies that you might use to overcome some of those bad habits?
0: Well, so there are kind of two, there's two areas that I I focus on when I get asked this question. And the first one is the concept of cheating, which is kind of what, you know, what's a bad habit? Um, Should we have a cheat day? Um, That language is something that I stay away from. I think that you know, when I sit down with an athlete and I actually talk about this in the book, there's, I have a a big section on habits and behavior and helping yourself, um, think, um, more lovely thoughts about yourself rather than so much negative self-talk, which is a real problem in people with high expectations of their fitness and their physique, uh, and their performance. And so, um, negative self-talk doesn't accomplish anything except paralysis. And so I, um, I don't talk about cheating or bad foods. I talk about what do you, what are your favorite foods? If some of those favorite foods fit into that, what we call pro-inflammatory category, well, um, are they, are they um, inhibitory to your goals? If you do, if you have them once a week, and then if you have them once a week, well, then that's the plan. It's not a cheat. It's all part of your plan. There is no cheating. And frankly, if you eat something that's not part of what you planned in general for that day, not in the guidelines, so what? I hope that you loved it, that you enjoyed it and you savored it and you weren't distracted while you were eating it or drinking it. And now get back to your plan, because now if you start to try and retool what we've talked about is your plan, you continue to make more mistakes. Let's just get back on the plan. And you enjoyed it. And that was part of maybe it was a mood enhancer. Maybe it was something that helped you interact better with the people around you. Whatever it was, always have that positive spin for me. Um, I, I find it incredibly important for um mental outlook is a very important factor for everybody, for myself, for my kids, and certainly for people with high goals um, in physical and mental performance. Um, so so that's it, you know, I can I can tell you um uh and the other is you asked me what kinds of things do people do that are wrong um uh, problem things are people who are not you know who don't eat much sort of fruits and vegetables right they're not plant kingdom eaters yeah and and so um, many years ago i was asked to come down and work with the miami heat and and this was in the newspaper in miami at the time so i can tell the story um if I, you know, no one may remember it so long ago. Dwayne Wade, uh, with the Miami Heat, had had shoulder surgery, and um, he wasn't healing. And so Bill Ferran who was who was still with the Miami Heat, strength and conditioning coach, called me down. I did some other work with the team, but he said I really need you to work uh, with Dwayne Wade because he's just not healing, and I think maybe it's his diet, and it was. Um, Apart from the, you know, fast food and the pro-inflammatory foods in his diet, he didn't have any anti-inflammatory foods in his diet. And so his inflammation from the surgery was just what I call dieseling along. It's just chugging and chugging and chugging and there's nothing to turn it off. And, you know, we have to help our bodies. Our bodies, you know, need to have some inflammatory response to begin the healing process, whether it's a sore muscle from a workout or it's, you know, sore tissue from surgery. Either way, inflammation, that process is the beginning, the stimulus of the healing process, as you know. However, something has to help the body turn it off. And if we don't have things to turn it off. And all we've got are the, the chemicals that keep it going. We're stuck. And so I created, um, some smoothies that kind of hid fruits and vegetables in them. And he did quite well. And, and some of those are still in, I put them in power eating a couple of editions ago, and I'm pretty sure they're still in here. I don't think I call them out, but they are some of the anti-inflammatory smoothies that I have in there. And uh, and within a very short period of time, things turned around. So we worked on a little bit, you know, um, limiting some of the pro-inflammatory f- foods and give, you know, educating him. That's all he needed. I didn't work with him one-on-one. This was all through the coach and, uh, and promoting these smoothies. And we got pretty good results. And so, so it's quite powerful. Um, Making good choices, but just telling somebody stop that (laughs) isn't, you know, just doesn't work. And even then, and I do have this in the book as well, I have a tool that I've developed over many years about helping people not just decide to change a habit, but to figure out when they're going to do that in the day so that they know exactly at what moment when the time comes that they make a choice that they prefer to change, that they have that sort of primed. And then because we track what we do, but tracking is retrospective. We need a prospective plan of when we're going to make that change and then track it so that we actually change the habit in our brain. And when we change that habit and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, and sometimes you fall off the wagon, but then you remember and you get back to it because you have this plan. um, That's that's key. And so planning uh, and planning in all the different things that you like to do is very important along with sort of negotiating um, what things may change. And and that's up to the client to decide what their priorities are. If they're already in my office, they clearly have made a decision to change. Now, I'm not just going to keep telling them that what they're already doing is all they need to do. Um, I'm going to tell them you know, what they're asking me, uh, the things that could help make them better. And, um, and then it's up to them to figure out where their priorities are.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that idea of, you know, what you mentioned about the cheat meals and definitely those clients, whether they're athletes or recreational exercisers, the ones that seem to be able to turn the page quickly are definitely the ones that get better results compared to those who, who tend to linger and fester on some of those decisions. And um, as you mentioned with, the, you know, Dwayne Wade, if you can... If you can hide things in various meals or, or work with what you've got, it can definitely go a long way. So, those are terrific insights, Susan. And, and last question here before we wrap up for you. I'd, I'd love to hear your insights on where you think the evolution of performance nutrition is headed in the next five or 10 years.
0: Oh, you know, it's so, it's always, every time I say, oh, it's such an exciting time. I mean, when I started, the term sports nutrition didn't exist. My PhD is in nutrition and human performance. Um, so, I think. Um, first of all, the demand and expectation from some part of the uh, public uh, is toward more science and more evidence. And that's very exciting to me. Uh, um, products are really going to have to put their money where their mouth is on uh, on making claims. And I think that that will... Um, it will, you know. Right now, people are really afraid of sports nutrition products because you don't know what they do, you don't know what's really in them. But we have things to do today, and it's going to expand even more. So there is third-party laboratory certification, mm-hmm. so that you can be certain that your product is pure. Um, it doesn't mean that it does what they say it does, but it means that what's on the label is in the product, and there's nothing in the product that's not on the label. That's what third-party lab certification for banned substances means and and other drugs. Um, so so more certification, more scientific research, evidence regarding claims. I think that we are able to help people personalize more now than we could before. And frankly, I like when, we have to go back to the drawing board. You know, the promotion of the very low carb or ketogenic style diet forced um, scientists to go back and do more research and really prove that you really need carbohydrate to do high levels of exercise. And no matter how many studies they do on high fat diets, at 65% of your VO2 max or your maximum work capacity, nobody's ever going to be able to climb hills or sprint to the finish at that level of exercise intensity. It's just too low. So that's fine for a slow person running a marathon. They still need some carbs to get by and be healthy. But for the person who who wants to challenge themselves athletically, we have now proven that, that you need carbs. And so then it's a decision, you know, what carbs... What's best? What should we use? When is food right? When should we supplement? What supplement should we use? All of this will become more clear. And I think the role of nutrigenetics will become more and more important. Right now, it's really just mostly data points. Um, I think uh, if you have a real disease or uh, a high risk of disease, uh, looking at your genetics can be quite helpful because we have targets for that and we have actionable plans. But for most of the information that we get, there's nothing you can do. It, it doesn't, we don't know what to do about it. And so I think the next five, 10 years, we are going to get more understanding of. Well, if I am heterozygous or homozygous for these particular genetic alleles um uh, or these points on my DNA, what do I what can I do about that? How can I use that to help me um make better choices or different choices that will will, will work better for my body? And um and, and that's what I think is going to be very exciting. I was just at the American College of Nutrition Conference on nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. And, um, you know, nutrigenetics is testing your genes. Nutrigenomics is what is the impact of those genes on your metabolism? And what what are we looking at as outcome measures? And is there anything that we can do with our diet to to change those outcomes and, and change what is ever happening to us. So, so those questions are still wide open right now. And if anybody tells you that they can give you the answer to everything, uh, and, and that you should cut out 35 foods because they have looked at your genetic sequence, um, they're kind of making it up. Yeah.
1: We're not going there yet, are we?
0: No. And I don't care if they give you a 35 page printout. We do <laughs> not have, we do not have the data to connect the dots between most of the genetic information that we get and what we should do about it, what it means and what we should do about it. And so, so be very wary of that. It's quite expensive. I think sort of basic level of entry might be 11, 1200 to 1500 us dollars. Wow. And, um, I don't think you get the the real value, but people believe in it because it's data. And but all data it isn't isn't um, useful to us. It's useful to the scientists, but it's not really useful to us. So, uh, as I said, in some cases around disease states, and in some very specific metabolic diseases, absolutely it's helpful. But in most cases, it's not going to tell you any more than probably most really good sports nutritionists could tell you and you could put the value of those dollars to something um, that gave you a much greater return
1: susan very well said and uh, of course as always phenomenal insights uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the part three. You've got eight chapters there devoted to plans and menus, so listeners can definitely have to pick <laughs> up the book there to dive into those protocols. So, you know, where can people stay connected with you, Susan, and all your fantastic work? And, of course, pick up the book.
0: Well, please visit me at drskleiner.com. That's D like Dr. D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R dot com. You can learn about me there. You can pick up the book there. It will take you through to, uh, to Amazon. Uh, it, you can learn about, uh, uh, my other books, uh, email me with questions, ask me about consulting. Um, and so that's a good place. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm at power eat, uh, Facebook and, uh, uh, it's Dr. Susan Kleiner. So, um, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll check me out and I'm high performance nutrition is my company.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely include those links in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. And yes, I mean, this book and all your books, of course, phenomenal, phenomenal resources and something that we lean on a lot at Canada basketball for thanks for all the great work that you do. And, you know, thanks for everyone else who's tuning in. If you do have any questions for Susan or want to leave a comment on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs and, of course, if you enjoyed the show, take a minute. Please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you guys all next week.